Let me read from the book of Psalms this morning. Psalm 139. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was hidden from you when I was made in the, I was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them had come to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still I see there's something of a sacramental mystery thing happening when you put a sermon together. Uh, sacramental because the sermon is hopefully a signpost that points towards God. There's a, there's a sacramental element to it that hopefully in preparing and putting some thoughts together, it's somehow going to point people towards God and be a, be a space in which you can maybe hear from God in some way, shape, or form. Uh, it's a mystery because there's a lot of humanness to it. Um, you, you think about the sermon you're going to write, and you write the sermon, and you think about some stories for your, your own life, and you kind of put it all together, but you're open to God somehow being involved. It's this sacramental mystery. It's a mystery because sometimes you preach what you know is the greatest sermon that you have ever preached, and you say grace and peace at the end, and you see the people lining up to come and talk to you. And the first one's like, did you watch the game last night? And you're like, what? And then the next person's like, I like your new shoes. And the next person's like, you know, what's for morning tea? It's like, I've just literally done the greatest sermon that I've ever done. And you want to talk about Metallica's new album? It's like, what's going on? And then other Sundays, you, you just want to like have the stage open up and swallow you down and just disappear away to nothingness and never have to do public speaking again. And then you see the people lining up to come and talk to you like, oh, here we go. That was the greatest sermon ever. That was so helpful. Just do that every Sunday. It's like, okay, well, there's a mystery to this. It's beyond knowing um, what will be something to somebody and what will be something to somebody else. The other thing that happens, of course, is the one person sitting next to you is like, that was amazing. That was really helpful. The other one's like, that's literally the worst sermon I've ever heard. So it's like, well, how, how can it be? Because God hopefully is meeting us where we're at. My hope is always, of course, that there'll be something in the sermon that would be life-giving for everybody in some way. Just even one line, not the whole sermon, that would be too much to ask, just one thing. But you hope in the course of a year that there's maybe five or six sermons that the whole thing was just what you needed. So it's a, it's, there's, there's a mystery to it. But my prayer this week is that it'd be just, just something for each person that would be life-giving and helpful 
this morning. I'm going to move away from the parables just for this Sunday, and then we'll go back to the parables, I think. So, Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that have gathered here, uh, the different stories that bring us here. And uh, we thank you that you're here. Where two or three are gathered, you are present with us. You dwell with us. You come amongst us. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that my words would be something that somehow your spirit can take, and different things would speak to people in different ways that would just strengthen and encourage or provoke them to be the people you've called them to be. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're here today, but I wonder where were you 40 years ago? Have a think about that. 1982. Where were you in 1982? You don't need to yell that out. Some of you were just an imagination and a twinkle in your mum's eye or your dad's eye or whatever. Where were you in 1982? The early days of the greatest decade ever in terms of like cultural just amazement. So G.I. Joes, Transformers, cartoons, moustaches, stubbies, just all, all the good stuff. So where were you in 1982? Uh, did you have a moustache? Ladies, no, 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 it's the men, men. Did you have a moustache? Uh, ladies, did you have a perm? Did you have a perm in 82? Like, um, I don't think anyone does perms anymore. Did you have a perm? My mum had perms. Did you have shoulder pads? I was trying to work out what was the, what's the thinking behind the shoulder pads. For, this is for ladies' jackets. That that would ever have been a good idea. Like, what was, what was going through somebody's mind? Oh, you know what we need? We need triangle shoulders. That's what we need. Where were you in 1982? Where did you live? What city did you live in? What country did you live in? Where were you in 1982? We'll come back to that soon. 40 years ago, 1982. 18 weeks ago, it was Pentecost Sunday. Uh, and I talked about liminal spaces on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, I suggested that this cultural moment, this year that is 2022, is something of a liminal space. The, uh, a liminal space is like the doorway between two rooms. It's, it's like the lintel of the doorway, like that, that you're not in the other room and you're not in that room. If there's an earthquake, hide in the liminal space. It's the, it's the space between. It's the wardrobe between two worlds. Uh, for the disciples on the day of Pentecost, there was the yesterday when they'd been hanging out with Jesus, and that had been wonderful, but now Jesus is gone. And then there's the tomorrow when the Spirit will come and empower them, and that'll be exciting. But they're in this 50 days, this, this liminal space, and they find themselves in the upper room. They find themselves in this liminal space that was the upper room, an uncomfortable space to be in. You can imagine for some of the disciples it felt like the glass was half full because good things were going to happen, and for others it felt like it was half empty because where's Jesus gone and the prayer meeting's been dragging on for a while and you can only go so long. Uh, it's this unknown kind of in-between space, an uncomfortable space at times, a space that can be full of hope but full of despair as well. Uh, I think 2022 continues to be a, a liminal space for, for people. I know in conversations I'm having with people and talking with other pastors and pastoral care and things like that, it still feels for many people like the space between yesterday that was known but gone and tomorrow that is unknown but not kind of quite here yet. Liminal space. We can't go back. We're unsure of what the future brings. It's unknown. It's cloudy, but cloudy with a chance of meatballs, which is a little disconcerting. The temptation I talked about uh, 18 weeks ago was in that liminal space. If you're in the wardrobe, is just to sit down and wrap up in one of the firm, uh, one of the warm fur coats. Uh, I brought my big black blanket along and wrapped up in that. It's like, I don't want to go back, and I can't go forward yet. I'll just sit in this black blanket. Oh, there's fur coats in the Narnia wardrobe. We'll just wrap up in one of them, and we'll hibernate, and we'll come out later when it's all been sorted out. And uh, 
it's a pretty kind of tempting thing uh, to do. Uh, now, I have a, my black blank. I've got a black woolly hat now as well. I can combine the two together. Do you want me to swap mics, Ben, or keep going? Keep going? All right. Uh, I've got a black woolly hat that goes with the blanket now. Uh, as it turned out for me, personally, 18 weeks ago, um, perhaps there was a subconscious whispering of something that my body was going to announce to me loudly the very next day. Uh, and there was that, that sense of profound fatigue. Uh, the main petrol tank was empty, uh, the spare petrol tank was empty, and then when I went to the um, special hidden only for emergency petrol tank and pulled that out, that was empty as well. And uh, as I've told you before, but I, I bottomed out emotionally on that, that Monday. There was a lot of fatigue, lay in bed and just cried for three hours, and it was really kind of, um, what is happening? Who am I? What's going on? Why is the body... What's it trying to say to me? And uh, I think maybe the sermon was a subconscious kind of reality of what the body was going to yell a little bit louder uh, the next day. Um, and so for the next five weeks, I did spend a lot of time wrapped up in the black blanket with the black woolly hat kind of thing and trying to sleep and rest and, and fill the tank up and, 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 you know, get a little bit of something in there. And uh, still do for a lot of time as well. The exhaustion of yesterday, the liminal space of today, the unknown and emerging tomorrow. And it really felt like this liminal space. And, and to talk with other pastors, to talk with other people, just navigating life. I know my experience is not unique, and lots of people have had that kind of thing happen. And yet we find ourselves here today pondering this. We find ourselves pondering this today. It's remarkable when you consider where we all were 40 years ago that we would be here today. Like the mathematical odds of predicting this 40 years ago, scattered here, there, and everywhere, that we would be here today is, is astronomical. It's phenomenal to think that we would be here. Uh, 40 years ago, I was two years old and living in New Plymouth. Uh, I didn't realize as a two-year-old living in New Plymouth that I'd be sitting on the stool talking to you in 40 years' time. That had not yet been revealed to me. That didn't come till I was about seven or eight in this. No, I didn't. It didn't. <laughs> Where were you 40 years ago? Uh, who lived in a different city four years ago? 40 years ago. Okay, there's a whole lot of people that weren't even in Tauranga 40 years. Who was in a different country 40 years ago? Well, there's about the same amount of people that were in a different country 40 years ago, and yet we find ourselves here. Uh, across when we used to be at the Mount Club Rooms, um, uh, Carmen and um, Andy bumped each, into each other. Carmen and Andy bumped each other in the, in the club rooms at Mount Manganui when the, we were over there and the church was a bit smaller five, six years ago. They hadn't seen each other since primary school in Germany. <laughs> and then they bump into each other. It's like, the odds of that, that that's really, it's difficult to predict that. It's difficult to forecast that in 40 years' time. So the odds of us being here together are staggering, and yet here we are. Um, and we've all gone through some yesterdays to, to get here. And some of those yesterdays would have been amazing yesterdays. Uh, we were at an 80s party last night, hence the moustache. Uh, I'd, I'd go back to the 80s. The 80s were awesome, at least for a kid with Transformers and G.I. Joes. That was awesome. That was about as big as my world was in the Goonies. So, hey, that was fun. The 80s. Um, many yesterdays that we'd go back to and revisit, but also many yesterdays that we would prefer not to even kind of dredge up or think about or, or have to, to ponder or... Or navigate. Yeah, we're, we're here. 
some crazy yesterdays and some increasingly painful and bewildering things from yesterday, yet we're here today. We are in a post-COVID kind of moment. We're on the other side of this thing that was a thing that we didn't realize was going to be a thing, and then it was a thing, and now we're trying to put it all kind of back together. We're on the other side of Trump, you know, the guy from um, The Apprentice? He ended up being the president of the United States, and that was unusual. Uh, there was a lot of kind of toxic and weaponized politics, and uh, we're on the other side of that, but that was different. That was unexpected kind of thing. We're on the, I, I think we're in a post-stability kind of context. Probably for most of us, our cultural world's probably been fairly stable for most of our lives, but this particular moment feels culturally very unstable, very like, what can you say, and who can you talk to, and what are you, it's like, there's, it's a contested space, it feels very unstable, probably, compared to just the water we're swimming in, how that felt for most of our life, and there's lots of really good reasons for that, then there's some bad reasons for it, and it's messy, and complicated, contested, and you know, we're trying to navigate that. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm a little bit post my own burnout, uh, of course. Uh, Post-midlife, I'm, well, no, I'm not really post-midlife, I'm in that midlife stage, but 42, having crossed from that kind of first half to second half, and you don't think that'll be anything until you're a little bit further into it, and you start thinking about some things, and it turns out it, it is a thing. Um, so I've got a red sports car, it's dead, no, I don't, I don't. I don't. <laughs> so you post that. Uh, Post-Arise, so all the headlines with Arise Church that probably lots of you have followed, but that, that takes me back to a particular era in my life and ministry season and things like that, so there's a lot to post, kind of process there. Some of you are maybe post-retirement, maybe retired in the last two or three years, four years, five years, and you're in this space on the other side of yesterday and still trying to figure out what retirement is or looks like or should be. Uh, maybe some of you have post-marriage, having separated or lost a spouse or something, and so it's like, okay, there was yesterday and we're here, but the, the new thing hasn't kind of emerged yet. Um, post-teenagers, what I meant just by post-teenagers was you're an empty nester now. The kids have moved out of home. You're, you're post-teenagers. And um, trying to figure out, like, who am I now that the kids don't live at home kind of thing. Maybe post-health. Maybe you've had health for a long time, but you're on the other side of quite being as healthy as what you were, and it just comes with the journey of life, and it's a little bit disorientating and disconcerting. What does the tomorrow look like? So many yesterdays that each has worked, have walked. Well, I just need to say, good on you. Well done you for being here. Well done you for having navigated all of your yesterdays to be here today. It's remarkable. It's remarkable that you've, you've navigated all of what you've navigated to be here today. It's phenomenal. I think you deserve a standing ovation. It's like each per if you really knew each person's story, I think, I think each person just deserves a standing ovation. I remember watching the royal wedding, one of them, uh, William and Kate, I think, and they're going through the town and driving in the carriage or whatever, and everyone's kind of standing on the streets and clapping, and I was like, I remember thinking, that's awesome. That's really beautiful. But then I remember thinking, that's what everybody, when they get married, deserves. Like, when the wedding cards goes past, the people on the street should clap and cheer, because that's amazing. This couple have just got married. How good is this? But we're like, we see a car go past, and we just like, we're too busy, carry on with our lives. It's like, no, if you, if you walk past a couple doing outdoor photos at the beach or whatever, and they obviously just got married, give them a clap and a cheer, because that's outstanding. They deserve that. And then the Queen's funeral, that was 
cool as well. And they're driving and people are kind of bowing their heads. It's like every human deserves that. Every human, if, if you see a hearse go past or a funeral position, it's like, just pause for a moment. Thank God for whoever that person is and whatever their story was and however that contributed. They deserve a, a standing ovation. I think one of the ways we should think about the judgment of God is one of the ways it plays out is all of creation being let, on, let in on who you are and how you're put together. Uh, but not in a way that's exposing and your deep and dark secrets and that kind of thing, but, but suddenly the world gets you and understands you and realizes just that sense of who you are and what you've gone through and how you're here today and just the whole world kind of claps, gives you that cheering devotion. It says, well done, well done, that's, that's outstanding. Let in on how remarkable you are. Let in on how unique you are and how fearfully and wonderfully made you are, how amazingly you're put together, knitted together in those deep places. There's only one that's like you. Even your identical twin is not like you. They're different, wired, put together differently. No one, no other specimen of the human race like you. No one as weird as what you are. The more you, I hope that the more you get to know yourself, the more you realize how weird you are. That's one of the things that I'm discovering, is the more I get to know myself, the more I'm really weird. But the more I get to know other people, it's like, oh, they're really weird too. It's like, oh, we're just all really weird in all sorts of weird and wonderful kind of ways. Uh, I mean, how amazing is it to, to be me? A diehard watching, in your loving warriors supporter. A book reading, introverted INTJ, TJ, strategist, futurist, learning relator, maximizer, those are my strength finders. A non-surfing, part-time golfing, nervous meeting new people who hates conflict, has deeply held beliefs and wants to please everyone. Uh, who thrives on affirmation, who vomits at the smell of Tamarillo. Uh, very pro-moustaches, but very submitted to my wife. Uh, a postmodern traditionalist, contemplative, wannabe Eastern Orthodox, charismatic, stranger things watching, cocktail mixing, C.S. Lewis, tragic, who is a fan of heavyweight boxing, but can't stand mixed martial arts. So there you go. Uh, historical fiction reading, Catan playing runner, who loves getting up early in the morning and loves sleeping in in the morning, uh, who is a pracademic, an X-Men card-collecting pracademic, who can, a go-getter, who can never really be bothered going and getting anything anymore, uh, who thinks that the whether the glass is half full or half empty, that's pretty much the same thing, really, and the question is more, is it a pint and is it craft beer, is really what we should be discussing. And that's just me, You're t that's just my Twitter bio, you're 10,000 10, times more interesting than I am, uniquely and wonderfully crafted and put together. All the days are ordained for you, known before one of them came to be precious are God's thoughts to you. I think you need to remind yourself that you're a standing ovation waiting to happen. You're a standing ovation waiting to happen. And we might not get that in the streets as we, you know, as our hearse drives down the street, we might be at people going, come on, move out of the way, we've got to cross, we've got to get to Bunnings, it's the weekend. We might not get what the Queen got, we might not have had what Prince and Princess had at their wedding. But nevertheless, I think from God's perspective, you're a standing ovation waiting to happen. All of us with complicated backstories, and yet we find ourselves here today. All of us uniquely and wonderfully and weirdly put together, and yet we find ourselves here today. All of us, at least in some way, shape, or form, in a liminal space, no doubt, in between the yesterday that you can't go back to and the tomorrow that's unknown, and we find ourselves in the space in between. What do we do in such a moment? 
in our first live stream in March 2020. I talked about COVID being an apocalyptic moment, uh, not a season caused by God, but one that God could use to reveal, uh, apocalyptic means to reveal a heavenly perspective or, or a heavenly point of view. And so COVID is this apocalyptic moment that reveals to us who we are and how we're put together and some of the things about us that we didn't know about us and realize about us. Um, what, what, we're, what it is that we put our trust in and hope in and what is the priority of our lives. It's this apocalyptic moment. So I wonder what bubbled up in you over the last two and a half years. What's emerged in the last two and a half years in your soul that's kind of surprised you? What's emerged that kind of agitated you or disappointed you? Uh, I mean, it's easy to look at what emerged in the people around you. That was very frustrating and annoying and downright wrong. Great. Now you, though, what emerged in you? What did you become aware of? What did you notice? What did you sense? What bubbled to the surface in you over the last two and a half years that was maybe a surprise? Or post-COVID or post-Trump or post-stability or post-burnout or teenagers or whatever it might be that you should pay attention to in this liminal moment. To answer, you have to slow down. You have to pause. You have to be honest. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation, but you have to actually seize that moment and practice contemplation and reflection and thinking and being self-aware. What did you notice? Working not just in your life, but working on your life. You know, they talk about working on the business rather than just in the business. Sometimes you've got to just back up and work on the business. Too, too busy working in the business. Well, your life, sometimes you're too busy just working in your life. You need to just pause and work on your life and pay attention to your life. What did you notice? Better still, what might God have noticed? First, though, let's hear the rest of Psalm 39. So there's all this psalm that starts with how fearfully and wonderfully the psalmist realizes how fearfully and wonderfully they're made, how amazingly put together. Where could you go to escape God? It's just like unique. This is beautiful and amazing, this non-judgmental love of God that just envelops and wraps around all things. And then in the next verse, in the rest of Psalm 139, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. You know, now being able to be honest with where you're at. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those that hate you? Uh, they speak, uh, do I not hate those that hate you, Lord, and uh, abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them among my enemies. It's like a Labrador, like, see, like, good, good, hey, good, good. How much I hate all the people that hate you. Mm, there's later on, God says to love your neighbors and to love yourself, but also to love your enemies. So there's a little bit of, uh, the psalmist might discover the still small voice of the Holy Spirit whispering a few things that maybe were a little counter to what he or she expected. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me into everlasting life. There's this movement through Psalm 139. There's this, there's this flow of thought. There's this sense of being wrapped within infinite loving kindness, wrapped up in infinite loving kindness, the infinite loving kindness of God. And then there's this movement into a, a willing to express the great confidence one's feeling about the moment kind of thing. Like, um, 
infinite loving kindness of God. I'm feeling buoyed and confident. God, the, the thing that's on my heart at the moment is your enemies, and I hate them like you must hate them, and I abhor them, and they're, they're, I'm against them. How good is that? But also, Lord, search, with, search me and teach me and lead me and guide me and, and, and show me a better way to be. So there's this, there's this wrapped up in the infinite love of God, and then there's this, this kind of willingness to share perspectives to, to allow that which is unknown to God and then to be open to, well, God, what, what might you say about this or in regards to this? Security, honesty, vulnerability, learning, and growth. The exhaustion of yesterday, the liminal space of today, the unknown tomorrow, what does one do? Be still. Be still. What might God have you noticed? What might it be that God's wanting to whisper into your heart? Security, honesty, vulnerability, learning and growth, invited to a space of non-judgmental awareness. Non-judgmental awareness. Where God's not whacking you with a stick. You don't need to whack yourself with a stick. You can just slow down and pay attention and go, ooh, maybe that wasn't, maybe that wasn't what I expected. Maybe I'm not as far along as I thought. Maybe I need to tweak this or work on this a little bit. Here are some things I've noticed in me, just the, the ones I felt comfortable show. I won't do the other. I've got 12 other pages. I won't share them with you. What are some of the things that I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to me? And I, and I can only tell my story, otherwise I'd tell your story, but you probably wouldn't want me to tell your story, so I'll tell mine. So those strength finder things, a, a strategic learner, maximize, maximize a futurist-related type personality. Uh, I thrive on being a, a, a navigator or a course plotter or a chart setter. Like, you know, we'll, we need a map. Let, let's make a map kind of thing. But for the... Um, uh, you know, that, that comes naturally to me, and I, I find that energizing and rewarding, and it fuels the tank. There hasn't been much cor cor course charting and map making and, and A to B kind of planning in the last two and a half years. It's like, well, you, we just pivot from one thing to the next, and now you've got to do this, and you make... I mean, we, we had a big overseas trip planned that you know, but like three days in, we cut this bit off. Yeah, we've got a great plan. And then the next three days, oh, better cut off Italy, not going there. Three days later, oh, we won't be going across to France. That cut off, that kind of, let's just go to America. It's like, no, nope, we're just in Singapore. No, nope, we're just in Australia. Three days later, it's like, we'll take the kids to Queenstown. Where it all went, as you know, is we ended up in our backyard. So that was amazing. But we had, we had 19 different plans that just got smaller and smaller as time went on. And then you realize after a while in this whole last two and a half, he's making big plans and plotting a course and, and, and making a map and navigating, it's like, no, yeah, it's not really the season for that. Just kind of, you know, you just got to roll with the left and the right and treat Wednesday with whatever Wednesday brings and treat Thursday. Well, I'm not wired like that. I'm wired in a different way. And to not be able to do that kind of took its toll after a while. Very little navigating or course plotting. A lot of uh, responding and adjusting, a stalled kind of patient waiting. Oh, it turns out I'm not so good at patient waiting. What it was, I just seen it's like, oh man, I thrive when I get to be who I feel God's created me to be, as we all should. We should all thrive when we get to f get to be that which we feel God's created us to be. But in some ways, it's like, oh man, I'm falling apart when I don't get to be who I feel God's created me to be. But yet, God's bigger than temperament and personality and interests. You've got to learn to just. Oh, let's go. Oh, I've got some stuff to do there. I've got some work to do there. No forward movement, just backwards movement, if anything. 
Uh, over time, it gnaws away. It, for me, it built a, 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 um, an ongoing sense of futility and frustration because I like there to be progress in life. I like to have goals and things to work towards. And now it's like we are not got any goals for anything. It's like we're not working towards anything. There's, it's like, okay, that's fine. And, and it was fine. And then after a while, you realize, oh, man, I'm, I think I get a lot more of my sense of identity out of setting goals and achieving goals rather than just genuinely being still and knowing that you're deeply beloved of God. Ooh, I'm not as far down that as I, as I thought I would be. Start to think, what's the point of being me if I can't be me? <laughs> and I would deal with other people who ask that, what's the point of me if I can't be me? And I, I bring oh, amazing pastoral wisdom. I mean, many of you have had a coffee with me. It's just blowing you away. <laughs> Take the rest of the afternoon off work just to process that. Would sit down with me and, what's the point of being me if I can't be me? And go to give yourself some pastoral care and find that, oh, you're very harsh with yourself, very judgmental of yourself. You don't, you, 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 do you have any grace for yourself? It's like, no, I use that up all up on everyone else. It's like, oh man, it is easy to fall into a place where we're, where we're kind and we're generous and we're loving and we're compassionate to everyone in the world around us. But for ourselves, we... We're, we're pharisaical, we, we beat ourselves with a stick, it's black and white, it's not good enough, it's good enough, and there's no grace or no charity or no compassion left for ourselves. It's like, oh God, I didn't realize I did that. I gotta, I, gotta, I think, and I, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but maybe in those early days we learned to love our neighbor as ourselves, and mainly what we need to work on is loving our neighbor, because we love ourselves pretty well. And actually, you need to think about other people. But maybe by the time you get a bit older in life, you spend a lot of time thinking about other people and you've forgotten, oh yeah, I do need to love myself as well and take care of myself and be kind and compassionate with myself, which is maybe what you need to do as well. Frustration at a lack of control, because everything felt out of control. I didn't, it wasn't that I felt frustration with um, having uh, rules in place upon me. That wasn't, I didn't have a frustration with that, because I have this belief that in life, there's going to be seasons that are really tricky and you have to do things you don't want to do. It'll come around from time to time, so that's fine. But then what surprised me was just how much I do actually like being in control. It's like, ah, it's a little bit like, you know, you expect bad things to happen in life because bad things do happen to people. And then when a bad thing happens to you, you're like, this is outrageous. And it's like, did you think you wouldn't have bad things happen to you? It's like, no, I knew I did, but now that it has, I'm not very happy. It's like, Okay, got it. There's some room for growth there to adjust to. God, search me, speak to me, guide me, shape me. Futility of course plotting, futility of strategic thinking, futility of futuristic disposition, contested spaces, contested ideas, complexity. It just kind of wears away. Realize with the headlines in the church falling apart here, there, and everywhere, pretty much everywhere, I realized, oh man, I really, I deeply love the church. Part of starting St. Luke's was to go in a different direction and help you to realize that ch church doesn't have to be a place where, you know, you get hit with a stick and there's all these demands. It can be a, a worthwhile thing to participate in. Let's, let's improve the reputation of church and society. And you kind of, you do St. Luke's for 10 or 12 years and then like, I think we're doing okay. And then like, the reputation of the church and society is at an all-time low. It's like, great, we tried to help there, but that didn't, that didn't help the headlines. So all of these kind of things, I'm realizing, oh, man, okay, there's, there's, 
there's disorientation and disaffection and I'm not as far along the track in regards to this as I thought I was. And, and I do get a lot more sense out of identity, out of who I am and what I do, rather than just simply knowing that I'm dearly beloved of God and held in non-judgmental, infinite loving kindness of God. Like, oh, okay, I've got to, got to think about this, got to, got to process this. Faith and trust is like you think it's well-developed. You're like, oh, it's not. The faith and trust isn't quite what I thought it would be. I'm not as quite far down the line as I thought. All sorts of different things. But rather than sit and be harsh with myself, a harsh critic of myself, which I have a tendency to be, I'm invited to sit in the non-judgmental, infinite loving kindness of God. The non-judgmental, infinite loving kindness of God. It's an open door to transformation. It's from a place of peace and security and trust that we can be vulnerable with God and vulnerable with others. And as soon as we're vulnerable with God and vulnerable with others, and as soon as we are expressing rather than suppressing, what we discover is that God treats us with loving kindness, that the people around us treat us with loving kindness, and that it's actually an invitation to transformation. It's from that place that it then is worthwhile reading a book that maybe would be worth reading or listen to a podcast that you haven't read before, having a coffee with somebody that you think could be helpful. It's from that place of non-judgmental self-awareness and vulnerability before God that you discover, well, where can I go from you? The heights, the depths, nothing can separate. The psalmist says he's about to declare how much he hates God's enemies. And God's going to say, oh, I love your enemy. Still wrapped up in the infinite loving kindness of God. discover that the invitation to be vulnerable before God is not, uh, the way I wrote it down was like, it's, it's not, God doesn't have a stick, he has strawberry ice cream. It's like, oh, I can't be vulnerable with God, and well, God already knows anyway, so you may as well be. And then what you discover is, is not a stick or a harsh word or a critic, what you discover is like, all right, let me dish you up a bowl of strawberry ice cream and let's chat about that. And you're like, Really? Like, each time I come to you with my weaknesses and the things that aren't right, we, we'll sit down and it's strawberry. Oh, I thought it would be a lot more severe than that. I, I can do strawberry ice cream all the time. It's that kind of infinite loving kindness of God that we see in that whole first two-thirds of the psalm. All right, last slide. Yesterday, the liminal space of... Yesterday was yesterday. We're in the liminal space of today. There's the mystery of tomorrow. Not yet clear where we could go, what we could do, who we could become, what we could attain, what could be achieved. So we pay attention to ourselves. Rather than working in the business, we work on the business. Rather than working in our lives, we work on our lives. We pay attention and consider some questions. Who would Christ most likely... Uh, who would Christ... Well, I can't read it. Who would Christ like me to be like? Who would Christ like me to be like? I've, I've phrased that like that because it's like, well, who have you ever met that you think maybe, maybe God would have you grow to be like that person? Church has a history of saints rather than celebrities. And when we've had celebrities in the church, it's been unhelpful rather than helpful. Uh, the world has celebrities, rock stars, movie stars. Oh, when I grow up, I want to be like them. No, you don't. Read one of their biographies. You don't want to be like that. Church has saints, just, just godly men or women that have gone before, charted a course. Oh, who should I be like? Does that person 
if that person's dead or whatever, it's like, well, if they might have written a book or something, otherwise you wouldn't know about them. It's like Jemima from Timbuktu. It's like, who's she? I don't know. I think God wants me. No, no. You, you, you'll have a sense of somebody that wrote a book or, or somebody that you know that's further down the journey. Well, invite them out for coffee. Have a chat with them. Hey, what's important in your life? What do you value? How would Christ want those closest to me to describe me? Isn't that an awesome question? Our patience is shortest most of all with the people closest to us. Isn't that bizarre? They're the ones that we should kind of love the most and have the most time for, but it's our patience is shortest with our spouses and our children and then our extended family. They're the ones we should have the most love and patience. So how would Christ want those closest to you to describe you? If there's honest people talking at your funeral, honest people, that will tell the truth, what would you want them to say about you? What do you want them to say? How would you want them to describe you at your funeral? What's the impression Christ would want you to leave with those you bump into? You know how you have a thousand little bump into people, things in a day, at the petrol station or at the supermarket or at a store or just on the street? Well, what, what kind of impression would you, would you want to leave with them? My niece was at the supermarket with her mum and... There was a lady at the till, and it was taking a long time. It had got very complicated. And there was my sister-in-law and my niece, and then there was a third lady behind. And the third lady was getting incredibly agitated and frustrated with all of this. And my niece, who was old enough to know better, goes, Girl, you nasty! Just out loud at the, at the thing. Which we laughed at, and my sister-in-law wanted the ground to swallow her. What's the impression that you leave with little kids when you bump into them? Nasty? <laughs> what must you renounce in order to be more like Christ? Part of following Christ is to let go of things. It's to let go of things. What do you need to let go of? I'm needing to let go of my desire to control, to be a benevolent kind of dictator in my life for good. It's like, oh, but if you trust God, then... What do you need to let go of? What do you need to renounce? What do you need to practice in order to be the person that God's called you to be? We don't, we don't kind of reason ourselves into change. We practice ourselves into change. We, we set new habits and, you know, eventually it, it becomes, you know, a habit. It's, it's easy. It's, 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 you, you practice generosity with little things and you eventually become generous in big things. It's hard to go from nothing to being really generous with big things. It's like, no, you actually have to practice that. It becomes a second nature. Kindness, generosity, these kinds of things. What's your vision board of becoming like? I don't have a vision board, but people have vision boards where they put up pictures of boats and houses and whatever it might be kind of thing. But what's your vision board of becoming like? Who do you imagine becoming? Who would Christ have you become over the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years of your life? What's the kind of person you'd like to become? What must you love more than anything else? I think COVID bubbled to the surface the things that we love the most. I love freedom, or I love safety, or I love gathering, or I love, now we don't ever have to go out and see other people, and that's my favorite. I love just staying in my house and never going out to see anyone. All the introverts are like, yay! And now that you can, they're like, no, I'm still going to stay. It's like, it's like no, what do, you, what, do you, what, what do you have to love the most? 
And of course, the call is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Colossians 1 verse 9 and 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So my encouragement to you is to have homework this week. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation, to sit and to be still and go, what bubbled up in you over the last two and a half years? What if that was beautiful and wonderful and what if that was not quite what you were expecting and disconcerting and where are you further along than you thought you were and where are you not quite as far along as you hoped you would be? And then to ask God, well, what do I, what do I need to practice? What do I need to do? What do I need to change over these next while to grow to be the person you've called me to? All right, let's stand together and we'll close in prayer this morning. As you go this morning, go in the infinite loving kindness of God. Go surrounded by the non-judgmental presence of God. For Christ did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Turn your heart towards Jesus. Tune into the voice of the Spirit and discover whispers of love that call you into transformation in order that you might know fullness of life. Be brave in this liminal space, open to change, open to changing and becoming all that Christ has called you to be. And as you go this morning, go in the love and the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, my brothers and sisters.